This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. Today on Bridging the Gap, joining me from Cache Valley, Utah. What a name of a city, especially in this industry, is Travis Perry. He's the man that lives in the city of Cache Valley. Travis is a keynote speaker, a financial coach, author, and a popular podcast host. Travis opened up the conversation by telling me about his paperboy days and how he was intrigued in the financial industry at a super, super young age. We got into an intriguing conversation surrounding the 10 areas of life in assessing your values. Travis breaks down his, quote, make time method and how we as leaders can coach our advisors to reach their desired values and goals within their careers. This was one of those just conversations that just made my mind blow. It was fun. It was engaging. And it made me want to go visit Cash Valley, Utah. There's a lot of tactical information in this episode. So let's jump into it with Travis Perry. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Travis Perry, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thank you so much for joining us here today. How's everything in the Travis Perry world these days? How's everything going on your side? No, it's fantastic. I I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy living the life here and making everything balanced happen. And so uh, I appreciate you asking. Um, we're we're enjoying the summertime, getting away for a while, and you know, working a little bit. There you go, Logan, Utah. So tell us for you know those that haven't aren't well traveled where Logan, Utah is, maybe relative to Salt Lake. Maybe we can talk about it that yeah. way. Yeah, so we're north about an hour and a half and in a place called Cache Valley. So Cache Valley is is termed Cache because that's where trappers and, and fur traders would come to store their goods and you know uh, and, and wait till the spring and summer to trade and things like that so but it's interesting because that's where the term cash c-a-s-h came from so it's c-a-c-h-e sort of like as you you know you have your computer has cash and that's where the term cash came from so i think it's fun i live here in cash valley where i get to serve financial advisors and help them with their balance so they can have you know better growth and really more cash in their pocket while they're able to enjoy life better. Gosh, couldn't have been a better spot for you. Cash, Utah. I love Cash Valley. That's an awesome area. I, I Just out of curiosity, this is going down a definitely rabbit hole. How many financial advisors are in Cash Valley? I mean, what an awesome <laughs> like <two>? business model. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no, there's, there's, there's a few here. There's a few firms that do a really great job up here, but we were drawn to this place for Great friends. I went to Utah State. I did my PhD in this valley. My my grandparents actually lived here for a little bit, but I, I didn't really care to live here. I was a kid in California loving the idea of, of living down in SoCal. But when I came to school here with my wife and family, like we didn't want to leave. We wanted to figure out how could we stay in Cache Valley. We did spend some time in the, you know, you would call it southwestern part of the United States. We went to um, Austin, Texas area. And so, you know, we've been out of Utah. We've seen other parts of the country, most of it actually, but we sure love coming back here and returning. Just the quality of life here is incredible. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's shift gears. I, I want to. I'm excited about this conversation. As we were talking about before we started recording, you run the Make Time Institute, and I I want to challenge you with trying to help me make time because that would be great. Uh, so maybe we're going to use me as a test case to go through some of the lessons and learnings that you have found in this endeavor. But I I always like to start this podcast with a, a different question because it's very rare that I run into people that it's like, you know, when I was 13 years old, I wanted to go start a firm called Make Time Institute and help people live a balanced life, especially financial advisors. So the 13-year-old Travis Perry, what did the 13-year-old Travis Perry want to do? The 13-year-old, it's interesting that you mentioned that age. When I was 13, I was doing a paper route and I was, some people don't pay their bills. So I was a 13-year-old kid going door-to-door delivering papers. And back then, like you had these little clips, little paper clips that say, you know, monthly bill due. And I'd go around at the end of the month, and if they weren't automatically paying by a check, um, I'd have to go door-to-door and knock on the door and be like, hey, you didn't pay your bill. So I was like a bill collector at 13. <laughs> and I went by one day to try to catch a couple of people. And one of my one of my clients' customers was out and he actually, he answered the door. I'm like, whoa, I didn't expect you to be here. He's like, yeah, here, man, I'll pay the bill. And I'm, I'm like, wow, you work from home? He's like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an investor. I'm a trader. I was like, what? What's that? We had like a half an hour conversation about what he does and how he helps clients and, and he does his own investing. And my wheels, they just started turning. They're like, what? I've got to figure this out. What is this all about? And that led me to actually getting into the financial planning field as a 21-year-old and really getting into this industry and just cracking it wide open and hitting it really hard. But since then, I was, since I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, I was really focused on earning my own money, earning my own way, trying to figure out how money can work better, smarter for me. And it was, really had a passion since, since I was a kid. I love that. You were you were collections. You were in collections at the age of thirteen. I love. I, I think that that's incredible. The old fashioned collection. I'm going to break your legs if you don't pay your bill. <laughs> if you don't your, pay, I don't school. give you your paper. <laughs> <laughs> your paper, your paper's going to the man next door. All that's right. right. So, <laughs> I, I've never been one to do impersonations. That's not my. Sorry, man. That just came out. Uh, we're like we're all of a sudden mobsters for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good. But so, so you go from finding yourself a desire to make your own money, financial advisor, you got into planning, but then you start Make Time Institute. And this is the idea of you being an author or coach, helping people make time. I mean, let's just call it what it is, right? Deeper focus, making time, better work-life balance. How did you make that transition? What spurred that, that leap? Because that's kind of a different leap. There's not a leap going from planner to making time consultant, basically. Yeah. So I got into the financial planning world. I didn't expect to ever leave it. In fact, I didn't think I was going to get into financial planning until I was la- like later in life. I always had this idea like, okay, I'll have to do something else for a while. I don't know why. Maybe it was, I didn't think anybody would trust me as a 20-year-old baby-faced kid. What more do I know about financial planning? So that, I think that was a limiting belief that I had, but I kind of fell into it. I had a friend who was like, hey, I've got a job at State Farm. I started at State Farm and I started to see the vision. I'm like, whoa, I can really help people. And then while my State Farm agent who I helped send him to Hawaii on his incentive trip, I found a place who would get me licensed as a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual. And I thought, okay, this is planning. And as I got into it, I realized 
No, this is very much whole life centered focused plan, you know, planning on the perimeter. Whole life was in the center. So I figured out how to work with that for a while and how to make sense of helping people by doing plans basically for free for them. And I started doing my CFP. As I was doing the CFP process, I started bringing on clients and I was really focused on planning, but still with the Northwestern support and background. And, you know, it was great to have that. But I noticed that there were a lot of psychological, relational, and otherwise, you know, life issues that were related to money that the CFP course doesn't even address. Now, since then, it's done a little bit better to, you know, bring in the behavioral finance. But behavioral psychology is only like a tiny sliver of all the psychological issues, not even to mention relationships and other things that are coming. So I made the choice after doing some soul searching and I finally had a, a big enough reason. My father was 49. He passed away of a heart attack on a mountain bike ride very, very suddenly, like got the phone call and a few hours later found out that no, he, he had already passed away. And so the next morning I packed up my family and our little sedan and drove from Utah down to California to help with funeral arrangements. And basically, because I was the oldest child, I, I shouldered a lot of that burden. And I was a financial advisor, so people expected me to, you know, you know, you know what you're supposed to do with all these things, right? And I had to get a lot of support. Because again, I'm at that point, I'm 26. What do I know at 26? Like very little about the end. I know a lot about a lot of the beginning. So that experience made me really question everything I was doing in life, like literally everything, my relationship, my health, how, how am I as a father? What's my standing with God? What, what about my friends? Like, and I questioned just about everything and came to a conclusion that I needed to have better direction goals. And those should be based on my values. Cause what if I only live till 49? Okay. Now fast forward, I'm 42. I'm now seven years away from that, which is crazy. Time flies. But that event happened. That was the catalyst. Actually, it was really the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I said, I'm done. I'm out of Northwestern. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to begin down this path and I'm going to do a master's. I never even thought about a PhD. But by the time I got to the end of the master's, I realized I needed to do even more work to kind of solidify that, that what I've come up with is worthy like of academia of the world and so i jumped in i felt like honestly i'd left the industry completely for about six seven years while i was doing all this and i even taught in academia for a couple of years but through all that probably eight year hiatus i decided that what i had done and the path that i was on really led me to go understand psychology stress work-life balance relationships in a way that Basically, nobody else in this industry, financial planning, really focuses on. And so I saw that as a way now to come back and help the industry and help advisors first, help them first with these problems of balance and overworking and all sorts of other health-related issues that they struggle with. And this is, man, this is where I found meaning. This is where I just am lit up. I love talking about it. This is my professional calling. And I can stem that back to when my father passed away, looking at my life going, you need to change some things. 
And I have, and I'm not that I sit here and say, I, I'm doing it perfectly. I'm trying, like we're, we're doing the best that we can to bring the Make Time Institute out there and really help advisors live their life on purpose. Gosh, so incredible. I love that story. That's, I mean, just learning about everybody's journey to where they are is just incredible. I mean, everybody's got their own unique journey, but we're all still trying to make such a great impact. And I think that that's what's powerful. These stories need to be shared more often, more frequently, heard more, because there's a lot of good people out there doing good things like yourself and, and on some amazing journeys. Now, I want to transition to some of what came out of those eight years of studying and your your master's and you know, doctorate and everything of that nature. You wrote a book, Achieving Balance, in 2021. And the, the bullet points I have from your book is that it's going to show us how to work half as many hours and increase our income. Now, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just saying that sounds too good to be true. Now, tell me why that that's not too good to be true. I want to talk about that one. You know, what's funny is while I was writing the book, man, I, I was running my own business, solopreneur, and really trying to get things where they needed to be very quickly had a lot of success in, in in the first year we did six figures which was awesome way beyond what i imagine we we could do by we by the end of that year I, I was hiring people and i was realizing yeah we need to grow this but achieving balance is sort of an irony <laughs> like this book that i'm holding in my hand it has a pendulum that is swinging on a fulcrum of time this clock but on one side there's three stones and the other is seven stones. I believe there's 10 areas of life and every coach out there has a different way of looking at it, but I think there's 10. And my thought is when you're focusing on those highest three, those most important three in your life, that's when you feel balanced. Balance is not equilibrium in all areas of life. That does not exist. And I think that's one of the biggest myths that I like to bring up in this book. And there's really, there's, three main myths. But the first one is you're not doing everything in every area of your life, equilibrium, perfectly in harmony. Okay. It just doesn't work that way. Why? Because we have priorities. And so many times people are like, Hey, get your priorities in order. Well, have you ever sat down and taken all 10 areas of your life and said, these are my highest priorities. Now I will tell you that most people think they have and advisors come on my podcast and they share with me their highest priorities. And it's, oh yeah, I put family first. Do you really? How much time do you spend with them? Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, my relationship with God, you know, my walk with God, however you want to call it, it's, it's number one. Okay, great. What are you doing about that? That's where the rubber starts to meet the road. But if you have your priorities in order, those first three priorities, and you are actually spending time, and what I mean by that is making time, because anybody goes, oh, I just can't, I, I didn't have time for that. No, you need to make time. It's a deliberate, proactive event. And when I came up with this concept, my business coach is like, hey, what do you want to call your company? I'm like, I don't know. We help people make time. It's the Make Time Institute. <laughs> it's just like, I'll fix it later. <laughs> I don't think it needs fixing. I think it's exactly on point. That's what we need to do is now we know where our priorities are. Make time for them. Are you going to work? Of course we're going to work. Like everybody's going to work. That's a different issue if you never work. But most advisors love what they do. 
They have the freedom and flexibility to make that happen whenever they want. They get paid really, really well, which if they're not careful, they'll say they love God, they love their family, and you know they need to be active and healthy and physically capable to live a long, healthy life, and they want that, but they're not spending time in either of those three areas, which are, in fact, the ones that show up nine times out of 10 with most financial advisors. I, I love the idea of the, the, the balance. It's not really like equilibrium. And I, I remember listening to a podcast of On Purpose by Jay Sheedy, and he was talking about work-life balance as well. And it, everybody thinks that work-life balance means that I work as much as I live. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm working eight hours, and I need to go live for eight hours and that's work-life balance, but that's not necessarily it. It's a matter of the depth of it. It's not one-to-one. It's a matter of your priorities that you're, you're, you're managing, like you said, those three priorities effectively and putting focus on those. From that standpoint, I think that there's a challenge for financial advisors. You mentioned that a lot of them have the same type of you know, top three values, but distilling what those true values are is hard. How do you help people understand what their true, like peel back the onion, get yeah. deeper on what your values are? Because everybody says family, God, and you know yeah. experiences. I don't know. But like, what truly is your value? And then I want to get deeper, deeper into that in a second. Yeah, two things. One, I was laughing because, you know, work like balance is this equilibrium between work and life. It's, a, it's totally a joke because we're creating videos right now and we have we actually had a, a couple of advisors come on and do interviews with us about for the book for research purposes and one we have quoted who says i have balance i work 12 hours a day <laughs> like no like that's not balance that, that's not it it's not it's not even close there's no such thing as work life balance or even work home balance we have multiple areas there's our spiritual our physical health our relationship with our spouse, our family, with our friends, with the community, fun and recreation, our mental health, the, the list goes on. But we have all these different parts of us, yet our personality is and should be, quite honestly, the core the same. I'm the same at work as I am at home. Yeah, I, I have different functions. I have different responsibilities. I'm the same guy, or I should be, right? So the idea of like switching to be a different person doesn't doesn't really settle with me. And, and quite honestly, most advisors I talk to, it's an old notion. Two, is, as you focus on values, we as financial advisors should focus on values. I have a book right here on my, uh, it's called Financial Planning, Process and Environment. It is the CFP basic course. It come, It's the text that comes with the course number one of Foundations and Financial Planning in page like one or two in the intro, it actually specifically talks about financial goals. And it says financial goals should be based in values. What? Well, what are values? Values in the layman's basic term is a principle that is true that guides your life. Now there are values for the community, society, um, and quite honestly, man, when we talk about values, unfortunately, it becomes a right-left political thing because people think, oh, well, it's, it's religious values. And no. Yes, we gain values a lot of the time because of our upbringing and possibly religious influence, which is a big part of, of a lot of you know, individuals who I work with and their lives. However, values come from many different places. And as we do some of that deep work, what I've asked people to do is in order to discover them, 
is to write a mini obituary. And I'm not the first one to come up with this idea. Covey and others have, well, you should write your obituary. I'm not talking surface. I'm not talking I died by, you know, um, swinging in my porch swing at age 90 and left with seven children and 15 grand. No, I, that is, those are details. What I like people to do is imagine someone is coming up and they're giving the funeral address for your life. What would you want them to say about you in all 10 areas of your life? How would they describe you as a family man, as a businessman, as a spouse? What would your spouse say about you? What if someone came up who was a good friend like your entire life? What would they say about you? How would they describe you? How would you want them? Then you take those adjectives. Maybe it's trustworthy or savvy businessman, whatever it is. Like Take those adjectives. Those are the values that you can espouse. And you can say, all right, now I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to become this value. Forget goals. Throw them out the window. Throw them out the window. Forget them. <laughs> goals mean nothing if you don't have these values. Now, those are your lifelong goals, actually, because if, if that's a lifelong becoming process of getting to that person in each of those areas, well, now you can say, what can I do this year to become more trusting? What can I do this year to become more a savvy business owner? What can I do this year to become more a loving spouse? If those are your adjectives, okay? Now you can just go backwards and chunk this one year, one month, one week, however small you want to make them. Now those are goals. Does this make sense? I love that. I think that, you know, there's Mark Manson on the the act of not giving up, you know what, is... You know, he talks about the values and that's what we all are, are so messed up on because we don't really have the values that we're tailored towards to go forward with. And you keep talking about the 10 areas of life. I'm curious from your standpoint, are the 10 areas of life, do you have those in the book as these are the core 10 areas of life that you found or is there 10 areas of life per individuals? And and could you talk through just what those 10 areas of life are? And then I want to then I want to peel back the onion one more layer and say, okay, I've got my values. Now, how do I make more time? But let's talk about those 10 areas of life first and what they are. So these 10 areas, like I said, like every coach has a different wheel of life or how they've described it. But essentially in the book, I peel this onion back to those, those 10 areas. Like that's the core, spiritual health, physical health, relationship with spouse, family, friends, community. It's your own personal finances, your family finances, your career, self-improvement or mental health and fun and recreation. Now, those, I believe, are, are the same for everyone. Now, how they are defined, that's up to you. Does that make sense? Mm. So I don't mm. tell you this is what family life is for you or this is what your career is. No, that's for you to define. But those 10 areas are going to be there no matter what you do. You may combine yeah. one of those two. You may make them a little bit different. But most of the coaching, most of the life course, you know, life coaching courses I've ever been through, like these are the top. These are the 10. Now. After I have them define them, then they can tell me what those boundaries are. Well, where are, what's your boundary? Maybe for me, for example, I'm, I'm looking at my own book, page 123. For me, relationship with spouse, that's my absolute alone time with my wife, Angela. Okay. My time with family, that's everybody together. 
that's when we all do family vacation, family outings, or maybe I take some kids uh, alone and go do some fun things. Like that's different. Daddy dates, you know, so if it's any sort of combination, but I set that boundary for, for me. Now, if somebody is not married, well then for them, the relationship with spouse, because I know the research on this, most individuals in America want to be married, whether they are <laughs> or not, like, or we'll admit it. The research shows that most people want to be married, okay? So it may be future spouse, right? Because they adapt that category to their present circumstance. Once they have that definition, now they can define those areas as such, and then they can prioritize them to find out, well, what are my top three? Okay. But I will tell you, dude, I've, I've done this research, Matt, for years and years. And I've done this in live crowds where I've asked them, here are the 10 categories in life. And I had them do this prioritization exercise. And the number one that always shows up, interestingly enough, is spiritual health. Number one. Hmm. Number two is usually physical health. Number three is relationship with spouse or family. So these three or four top priorities, when I say balance, those are the three, four that usually show up. It's the spiritual, physical, and basically relational health, their family relations. And, and uh, with my degree in psychology, the sort of the physical and the mental health and, and some of the spiritual health are too. My degree in human development, definitely physical health and other aspects of life. And then my PhD in family relations, my joint PhD, I get it. I understand. Most coaches, they're coaching other people's curriculum. They're, they're just sort of copying, pasting, and putting this out there. I've been in the trenches to understand what, what we need to do to actually accomplish in these areas what we want to accomplish. So it's really fascinating for me to be able to find this after we've done the research, after I've gone to the universities to figure out what they know <laughs> and bring it back that absolutely 100% these are our top priorities and it's our top motivation. So let's talk through that for a second, right? I, and I'm, I'm kind of talking a little bit for myself and I'll, I'll put up, but I'll say that a friend of mine has this issue Sure. is, all right, so we've identified our top three values, right? We've identified, we put our barrier board, uh, boundaries on them. We're, we're ready to go. I think where the difficulty comes for just in human nature for me as well is that I've identified this, but now I, I can't convince myself mentally to leave my desk when I have a few more, I could do a few more sales calls. I could do a little bit more, but I know I need to go do this. And that gets from like, it, it kind of goes from this self-awareness aspect where I'm aware of what I value, what my boundaries are and what I want to do to this transformation aspect of, I need to now do it. That leap is pretty big and it's hard for people to do. So I'm curious of some of the things that you found be successful overcoming your mental hurdles in that way to make that leap. Yeah, great. <laughs> Man, we could talk about this like for hours, right? I love this direction. But really what it comes down to is if, if you enjoy your spiritual health, your physical health, relationship with family and friends, that should be your number one motivation to make time for it. In the last part of the book, I talk, this is actually myth number three. We can go back to myth number two eventually. But myth number three is that personal, personal development is the end all be all to show, to quote Shakespeare. And what I mean by that is that if, 
if all we do is we're just trying to do this on our own, I know for a fact that anybody that's dealt with addictive cycles, we don't even have to call workaholism an, an addiction, but at least there's a, a addictive tendencies or cycles where we're stressed, so we work more. We're worried about the conditions of the market, so we jump on and we call of our clients and we justify working late hours. And, but if we don't disconnect, if that's not a short period of time and we don't disconnect, we're going to create some really long-term bad habits. Those things outside of work, the other nine areas, <laughs> there should be some motivation and some internal intrinsic motivation for us to want to get there. So for example, yesterday, I want to get on my stand-up paddleboard and I want to hang out with my, my kids and my wife at the, at the lake. So I can't wait to leave work. I love working. I love doing this. I love helping people, I love coaching. But I couldn't wait to get out of it. Was, I was super excited. I'm like, let's go. This is going to be awesome. And yeah, I showed up. I had a great time. Did I think about work? Yeah, maybe once or twice. But I wasn't worried. I wasn't stressed. I wasn't you know, thinking about a lot of other things because that's my motivation. When I jump on my mountain bike, you better believe it's the same thing. When I'm out hiking or climbing or traveling with my family on vacation, I can put those things away. A lot of advisors struggle with the putting away, which we'll get to. It's myth number two. But myth number three is that there's no way I'm doing this on my own. My wife and I work together on this to help. She helps keep me accountable. And she knows what my goals and values are. I know what her, her goals and values are. My dissertation work actually showed that when couples have the same goals and values or they have shared a lot of overlap, that they're more likely to achieve their goals. Duh. Like it's, it is kind of duh research. I did a lot of duh research in my work in marriage and family because we know that when you're on the same page going the same direction, you're more likely to accomplish things. And they are happier psychologically, individually. Their marriage was better. And guess what? Financial advisors, they achieved their financial goals because they had shared mm -hmm. goals and shared values. Don't we struggle like with couples that are like, oh, well, I want this and I want that. If they're not on the same page as, you know, Ramsey always talks about, they're not on the same boat, whatever, they're not going to go the same direction very fast. They're going to be kicking and screaming, but that's because they're, you got to really analyze where their values are. So my, my whole idea is this motivation. Where is your drive? And, and the last thing I'll say, and then Matt, you can jump in on this, but the last thing I'll say is that if you think this is just Travis Perry, you're wrong. In the last part of the book, Achieving Balance, I quote a, a study that I did not do psychologists found that the number one motivating factor is not self-aggrandizement or selfish desires that the Maslow and his hierarchy of needs talks about. And I'm, I'm losing the term on the word here. I'm going to get it right now. But it is, is actually parenting. The number one motivating factor in life is parenting. Number two is mate retention. And number three is a mate selection. Oh, self-actualization is what Maslow said back in the 1940s. But now psychologists have found that that's just not true. It didn't match up with the research. They found out that parenting, mate retention, and mate acquisition are the top three motivating factors in life. So if we put those together and know, okay, yes, Travis, that's motivating me. It's also keeping me accountable. Then you should be working with your spouse to help with those boundaries, Matt, and to help you to have balance in your life. Yeah, I think that that's so interesting to think about because 
you think about self-actualization, like making something of yourself. And then everybody always kind of rationalizes it by saying, well, it's all about, I'm trying to make the foundation for my family to give them a good life. That's why I'm working so much is to provide that. So I do have values for my family, but you're missing out on something that you can't get back, which is time. And so you create that foundation. It's never enough. You always want to do more. So you're just constantly in this like rat race. I, I think that I'm intrigued by this sense of saying, okay, we understand what our motivations are. We're working with our spouse to hold us accountable or someone to hold us accountable. But it's a matter of like you were talking about going to the lake with your family. And I think a challenge that advisors have is that there has to be some sort of planning that goes into that. Because I think that people just over plan, over schedule themselves, over, over, over extend themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's the challenge because it's like, well, yeah, I'd love to go to the lake, but I, I got these three meetings. So do I call and schedule those? Like, have you put any research or have you seen any research to talk about? And this is definitely a selfish thing because this is something that I fall. This is my trap that I fall into mm-hmm. is, you know, I've got things booked up from nine to five. If I want to go at 12 o'clock and meet my wife for lunch, like I can't do it. Like I got, I got things on there. How do you take that, like the tactical nature of that and help your advisors that you coach to overcome that, to reach their desired visions and values. So we all have been hearing from like the early nineties, like have an ideal calendar, have a calendar so that you can time block and be productive. Well, this comes into the, the meat and potatoes of the book. Like we've scratched the, the very first part of it, goals and values. We talked about the last piece like accountability with your spouse and motivation. In the center piece of this make time method is what I call it in this book, Achieving Balance, is the tactile. How do you actually put this into practice? I believe that once you can do two things, basically first, become super productive at work. And if you think about it as a time savings aspect and a financial planning aspect, we tend to be overworked or bloated. Three out of every five financial advisors could be classified as a workaholic according to FPA 2014. And they have a great study about that. But the reality is because they're working more than 55 hours a week on average. Well, what are we doing? Well, we know a lot of things about time. And that is we tend to do tasks, activities, whatever, in the amount of time that we allot. So some of it is just our own problem. It's the summertime right now. I don't know. I'm sure when this is going to air, but... The reality is when we're ready to go on vacation, aren't we more motivated to get out the door? Like, I got to hurry and got to get these things done. Something that could take a year, like we could get it done in five minutes because like, it's got to get done now. There's a deadline, a timeline. We do that every day to ourselves, every single day. But if we justify, rationalize, come up with excuses, we can do that every day as well. Like it's our choice. Are we going to be proactive? Comes back to seven habits of highly effective people, right? Stephen Covey. Are we going to be proactive about what we want to do with our life? Or are we going to be reactive? If we're reactive, we don't have an ideal calendar. We don't care about a time management system. We justify that we're balanced, but we're really living in what I call fake balance world, where it's just like, yeah, I'm balanced. Yeah, right. I, I don't really care about it. And we we can get super far, far down to the fact that, like you said, you get in this workaholic trap. Well, now you're working nights and weekends. Why? Because the industry said you had to when you first got started. When I came out at Northwestern, that's what they told me. You got to work nights, got to work weekends for 10 years. Once you do that, you'll have enough dials and policies and households that you can just relax. Mm -mm. I 
I interviewed people who had been working there for 30 years and they were still doing the same thing. And I was like, this is not living the dream. This is not why I got into this industry. I wanted to be the guy that I met when he was working at home doing his thing when I was 13 years old. I'm like, what happened to that? I've become a workaholic. So the key is that if you can become super productive at work and work in what I call your sweet spot, I'm pointing behind me for you, Matt, but your work sweet spot is where you're most effective and you do activities that are most enjoyable. I have the whole activity planned out in the book. If you want to read it, you can get there. It's really not a new concept, but how I do it is very unique. We take all the activities that you work at work, we help you prioritize them, put them in, in a bracket to which now you can spend most of your time. I literally, before we did this call, had another advisor who I told him 25 to 30% of your time is likely spent in your work sweet spot. We need to get you to 80 to 90%. Then we did the math. He was at 26%. Here's a guy who's been in the industry for 20 plus years, and he's at 26%. Most advisors are not advisors. <laughs> Most planners are not planning. They're doing all these other activities, less productive, stressful, taking their time instead of just working on doing the things that they should be doing at work. So that's number one. And we could go way deep there. But number two is, do you have an ideal calendar for the other nine areas of your life? It's a personal one. Yeah, this is maybe it fills up the home part, but it's the other nine areas. Where are they? If they're not on your calendar and you can't visually see them, then it's likely you will fill your time with work because you enjoy it. You love it. But until you have a real love for these other nine areas, your health, your spirituality, everything else we talked about, fun and rec, what are you doing with the community? Unless you have that on your calendar, it's very easy to not hold yourself accountable to it. But I know this, when I put an appointment on my calendar, I keep it. When it's with a client, we're much more likely to keep it. So it's likely that we don't have that on our calendar. So we're not going to hold it ourselves accountable. If I don't put church there, I'm not going to go, right? Like if I don't put date with my wife, I'll fill it up with something else. You know what I mean? Like it's got to be on the calendar. So I teach advisors how to be productive and save a boatload of time, be more productive in where they should be, and then reinvest, reinvest the time into the areas that are typically more important to them. That way they can get rid of the stress that I know they're dealing with right now because they're, de yeah, they're, they're, they're basically casting off that shame, that stress, that worry, pushing it aside, saying, yeah, I'm not balanced, but nobody else is either. But in reality, when you get to the end of your life and you look back, no one, not a soul has ever said, gee, I wish I would have worked more. Like that's a coveyism. <laughs> and I, I can tell you that my father was a great example of this. He was living his life. He was doing things he loved to do. And he was a great example so much that I needed to make huge changes. And I don't ever want to say that. I want to be like, yeah, I lived life to our fullest. I lived it to my potential. But there's got to be these ideal calendars. There's got to be boundaries in our life that we set for us personally so that we can have a track to run on, a plan for our time.
Gosh, that's incredible, man. Now, I mean, if you if after that you're not ready to go get achieving balance, I don't know what will make you go get it and read it all right now. And and you know, Travis, we could spend. I, I love this topic. I could dig into it. I, I mean, you've got so much knowledge I could learn from. Could spend hours, but I know you've got other things to do, and I, I want to be respectful of that. So I I'm, I'm going to transition to the last two questions that I always ask my guests on the podcast. And the first one is is that you know these these conversations are all about learning. And I also love to learn by reading. And I always like to ask smart people what they're reading. And so what's one of those books, other than Achieving Balance, which is your book, which you can go buy on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. What is one book that you think everybody should read? You know, <laughs> what everybody should read versus what I'm reading, man, there are, there are several. I love, love, love several books that I usually will give out to my clients. But one that I'm, I just want to say, uh, one that I'm reading right now um, I just got finished with Good to Great. I've had that sitting on my shelf for a very long time. And actually, when my book hit number one on Amazon, it was awesome because number two was Good to Great. <laughs> I thought, dude, I've made it and I could beat out Good to Great. E-Myth is a great book by Michael Gerber. In fact, he's one of, I consider him my grandfather. He doesn't even know who I am, but one of his coaches coached me. And so I can I kind of consider him like my grandfather's from time time management is concerned. And the other one is Blue Sky. I believe it's it's a book called Blue Sky Marketing. And the reason being is that one can really help us understand like as advisors, who are we trying to help? Who are we trying to market to? Or is it Blue Ocean, not Blue Sky, Blue Ocean. Blue Ocean Strategy. And that's one that I, I'm honestly constantly rereading that one. And there are several books that I obviously I could you, we could talk a lot about and and discuss but this one I like to give out to my clients as well. On the on the personal side there there are a few that it comes to like relationships. John Gottman is the best book on marriage is by John Gottman. If you're struggling with your marriage, obviously it's great to have time to be able to work on it. And when you do have the time, read John Gottman's book, The Seven Principles of, of Saving Your Marriage. But anyway, th those are a few. Like I, I could name tons and tons in different areas of your life. Hope those are helpful, man. And I, I really appreciate you having me on the show and being able to tell listeners about my book, Achieving Balance, that they can, they can get at my website, travisperry.com. Awesome. And before I let you go, the last piece, the last question I have to ask is, What's one, and I got this from Barron's, what's one piece of actionable advice you think our listeners should take away from our conversation here today? Love it. Priorities. What are your priorities? That should be the number one thing. What are your priorities and values? Because honestly, that will drive you to do all these other things. No one's going to be driven to create an ideal plan, uh, a calendar. No one's going to be driven to have accountability if they don't have that first. Put that first. When you know what your values and priorities are, that should be your motivation and it will be your motivation to become a better person the rest of your life. And then the rest is just details. It's just, you know, it's de it might be difficult, but they're details. And uh, I really do believe that. I love that. Travis Perry, man, I'm appreciative of you joining us. You're a brilliant man and great ideas and someone that I want to continue to follow and continue to learn from. And I know that our listeners will as well. So before I let you go, how can people follow you, stay in touch with you, and continue to get all of the great information that you're providing every day? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So I'm on. I'm very proactive on LinkedIn. There, a couple times a day, hanging out. If you don't have a LinkedIn account, you can always go to my website, Travis Perry with an A. It's the Welsh spelling. Uh, if we were in Wales, they'd say Paddy. 
but you know, we're American. So it's travisperuthanay.com. And there you can actually get a copy of my book, actually all of the editions, paperback, hardback, audio, ebook, and a t-shirt that I'm wearing right now. You can't see on the podcast, but Balanced Advisor t-shirt all for like 25 bucks. It's a killer deal right now. You can get all of those options. And then just, yeah, that, that's a great way to learn about the content first. And we'll, we'll follow up with you that way and send you out podcasts and other things that we're doing. Otherwise, you can reach me directly. Email Travis at TravisPerry.com. You're the man. Thank you so much. You stay well, be well. And uh, again, so appreciative of you joining us here on Bridging the Gap today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 